All right. Good morning, everybody. All right. I got a good morning back. Um, my name is, is uh, Clayton, as Terry Lee just said, and I am so excited to be here uh, with you today. So w- one quick bit. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of an extended introduction um, because I have this... Uh, I have this belief that the person who stands here and talks to you, um, you know, it, it means a lot that you know the person. It means a lot that you're able to watch them and you know their, their family, you know uh, the way they walk with God. And you don't know me, right? Terry Lee just said that I'm a great person. He accidentally said mentor, all right? That was not, that's not true. Um, but uh, <clears throat> he, he, he said, hey, you can trust this guy, but <clears throat> I want to give you um, a little bit more about me, uh, about what I do. And then we're going to, we'll get into 1 Timothy 4, if you want to go ahead and, and find, we're going to be going through that passage <clears throat> today. So why am I in uh, Cincinnati? I'm the director of the Summit Collaborative, and you are a collaborative church. What that means is I work for you, I work for Terry Lee and Jimmy, not the other way around. And the way I do that is I uh, help support them, I help connect them with those other 59 churches around the country, we um, identify leaders in all those churches around the country. I'm actually meeting with some of your leaders tomorrow in order to help continue their development, all to the end of us planting more churches. But a thing that you need to know is the collaborative is a family more than anything else. And so today, when I'm standing here with you, like, please forgive if I kind of make side comments and, and I'm talking to these guys over here or, or, or I, I'm acting a little bit like I've been here for a really long time because I feel like I've been here for a really long time. I feel like I know you. I might be new to you, but I pray for you. Um, I have actually been to this. This is my second time being to this church, right? Which means if you're a first-time guest, I'm just barely ahead of you. But two times for me, living in Durham is, is insanely awesome for me. It, please don't tell any of the other churches or they will know that the Oaks is my favorite. Like that, it's, We have to be very, very careful with that. Um, so I'm here for that reason. I'm also here because um, who knows that there's a tennis tournament up north of the city happening. All right, great. So I, I was planning to go to that tennis tournament with my, uh, my dad. Through an unfortunate series of events, he was unable to come. And so I gave Terry Lee, who had never seen or probably picked up a tennis racket before, I gave him the most amazing experience of tennis that he could have ever experienced. Last night, uh, Medvedev played Tsitsipas, and I don't know if that makes any sense to, to somebody in the room, but it was number one versus number four in the world up north of Cincinnati last night. We actually have a picture, kind of just the picture. Not the, Yeah, there it is. See? Isn't that nice? I told you we were friends. He wasn't lying. We had an amazing time. It was a great match. I mean, it was the, there was a series of four games where the guy who actually ended up winning, the underdog who Terry Lee was cheering for the entire time, um, he played really bad. It's like he went to sleep, right? But then the whole rest of the, the match, it was amazing tennis. Like, he should never see tennis ever again in his life because this was the best match that he's ever going to see. Um, it, was, it was really, really, um, really, really fun. Um, the, uh, I got to see a, a portion of him, a bit of him. He got to see a bit of me that we have never seen before. And it's like this, you know, sometimes uh, there's this excitement that kind of like bursts out of you whenever something really, really exciting happens, particularly in, in sports, right? Because these people are doing things that maybe we have tried before, and then we watch them do it, and they do it at an amazing, at an insane different level, and it like causes you, 
instinctually to stand up, to scream, to wave your hands. To, and so I got to see a little bit of that live. Now, last night was not the first time I got to see Terry Lee actually freak out about a, about a sport, sporting event. You guys had a great sports year, right? I mean, the Bengals went to the Super Bowl, and that's as far as I'm going to talk about that, all right? I'm not going to talk about what happened after they got to the Super Bowl. But um, <clears throat> the, when they got to the Super Bowl, insane moment. I love Cincinnati because there's a church. There's a collaborative church here, right? So what do I do when they're going to make it to the Super Bowl? I text Terry Lee, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Terry Lee texts me back a video. I make that video into a GIF, okay? Now, I have, I have don't put it up yet. Oh, there, no, there it is. You can go ahead. Go ahead. Is he going to do it? All right, I sent Andrew a destructible gift. It's going gonna, it's gonna to die in about 30 minutes. But I will sell this gift to anyone in the church that wants it for the cool price of $100, okay? You can have it. It's yours. You can share it everywhere. And it's not showing it, but the whole family's actually in it. So um, uh, you're welcome. So now anything exciting happens at the Oats Church for the next 20 years. This is what everybody's texting to each other. Yeah, ju just the picture, right? <laughs> All right, so we're, we're, we're family. Um, <clears throat> I was here, I'm here because we're family. Um, and then also, the, but the tennis bit is a little bit of uh, a way of introduction to what we're going to talk about today as well. Um, one of the things that is, the, the biggest thing that is different between me and those people who were playing tennis last night is partially their physical ability. They're, they're towering, huge uh, humans, right? They're freaks of nature almost. Um, but the biggest difference is the amount of time that we have put into practicing tennis. I played tennis in, in high school, and, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I think I was pretty good. But I have not, I mean, these guys have put thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of studying tennis and also, like, practicing tennis. Hours and they'll spend two hours on the court before they actually play a match. Practice, 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 practice. In this passage today, what we're going to see is that learning in our faith is important. Studying in our faith is important, but practice is also key. It has to be built in. And if you leave one of them out, you're missing part of the picture, okay? So before we get into that, let me just convince you a little bit of why practice, not just in our faith, but in all of our, our world, a lot of things that we're familiar with is really important. When something is important, practice is important. That's the first thing that I want you to understand about practice. When something is important, is it playing now? Or is it just still up there? Did you get it? Ah, all right. Um, when something is important, practice is important. You want me to prove it to you? What do people that are in medicine do? I know that there's a lot of people here that do that. What do they do? They practice medicine. What about people who are in law? What do they do? They practice the law. What about people who are professional athletes? They practice their sport, right? If something is important at our most revered professions, they practice all the time. Second thing, when something uses your body, practice is important, right? You can't, you simply cannot study something that, is, that you are trying to do with your body and then actually do it. Here's an example that comes to mind. In the kitchen, you're cooking something. You can read a cookbook until your eyes bleed. And you walk into the kitchen, you've never done it before, you better practice before you start serving people at a restaurant, okay? If it involves your body, if you're doing something with your body, it, it, practice is important. Here's just, I want to make sure this is clear, we have an embodied faith. 
Jesus came and lived in a body. We live in bodies. Like we, we, our bodies will continue. So we have an embodied faith, and so practice is important. When, uh, and then the last thing I'll say about this, when the range of performance is large, practice is important. Now, this is what I mean by the range of performance. Let's go back to tennis. Um, a four-year-old that is holding a tennis racket, standing on a court with their parents, and they throw the ball at them, and then they just watch the ball go by. And the second time, they may swing at it, but they completely miss it. And the third time, they, they, their racket hits it, and, and everybody that is around and watching the situation begins to scream. What is that four-year-old doing? Practicing. Now, this morning, when Titsipus woke up and is preparing for his final, and he went out and he was hitting a little bit on the court, what is he doing? Practicing. So when I talk about practice today, I want to make sure that I kind of level the playing field. If today is your first day as a Christian, you can practice. You should practice. You should live this embodied faith. And if today you you have been a Christian for 70 years, you can practice. Now, the range of what that practice looks like is huge. But God is still calling us to the same thing. Isn't there something comforting in that? Especially for those of us who might be newer believers. There is something that God is doing, and you can begin doing it today, and you can continue doing it. That is what God is calling us to. So here's the final hot take that I have on practice, and then um, I'll pray, and we'll get into to, um, 1 Timothy 4. Uh, I'm going to make the case that physical therapy school, I, I actually went to physical therapy school before I, I became an executive pastor at a collaborative church. I'm going to make the case that physical therapy school is more like the Christian faith than is seminary, Right? which is a little bit interesting because the people who are leading our churches go to seminary and not physical therapy school, right? The walking with God, the Christian faith, is more like physical therapy school than it is seminary. Here's why. In seminary, you study and you learn, and you study and you learn, and you study and you learn. You can get experiences, you can get practice, but at the seminary, you study and you learn, you study and you learn. In physical therapy school, you study and you learn and you practice. It's key, and it's actually built into what you're doing. You have to practice in order to actually to be able to, to live that out. And, so, and that is more like our life than is, um, than is seminary where you're just studying and learning. The reason that analogy is important for today is because in the West, okay, not the Midwest, but like the Western part of the hemisphere, right? In the West, we think that what we believe is who we are. And, and that's not true, Okay. What it is what we believe and what we are doing. There's a combination of those two things together, which is actually who, who we are, okay? So it, I'm just, I'm trying to make this case because when we, because we grew up going to school, many of us going to, sec, having, uh, having, going to college, we're learning, we're learning, we're learning, right? As we, as we do that all of our lives and then we come to our faith, what we instinctually think is, I need to learn, learn, learn. I need to learn more. I need to learn more. I need to learn more. And that's a, that's a little bit of a Western error when, we, when it comes to our faith. Our faith is embodied. Our faith requires practice, okay? End of long introduction. We are now friends. We've talked about Terry Lee and showed pictures of him. Uh, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the passage. Father, we need, you, um, we need you to move and to encourage us. We want you to move and to encourage us. I believe um, that you're with us and that you are leading us. And I believe that in the, the words that I'm saying, that people 
here will hear your voice leading and guiding them to take steps in following you. God, let that be so much more powerful than anything that I might say. Let people um, go home thinking, thinking greatly and about you and, and worshiping you um, and moving forward in their, their walk with you. We give this time to you. Speak to us through your word. In your son's name, amen. All right, three movements, okay? I'm going to do verse 1 through 5. I'm going to talk about something that is beautiful about Christianity. We're going to do verses 6 through 15. That's going to be the bit about practice. Uh, and then um, at the end, I'm going to get into some practical things about what practice actually looks like for us, okay? Verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to the deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Uh-oh. Paul is telling Timothy here, watch out, don't be concerned, some people are going to leave the church. Okay, Terry Lee, some people are going to leave the church. It's all right, you'll be okay. Verse 2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Man, these people who are leaving the church are horrible. Verse 3, who forbid marriage and require absences, absence from, from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So at the start here, Paul is writing to Timothy. And at this point in the book, he's making sure that he's clear that people are going to walk away from the faith. But those people seem pretty aggressive, right? Deceitful spirits, the teaching of demons, demons serious stuff. So when I said that to start with, what immediately came into your mind about what those people were doing? Like, were they all wearing black and they're like around like a fire and like doing satanic worship or something? Were they, were they kind of doing the most sinful thing that you can think of? Kind of having a, a wild night out at a party or, or something like that? Is, is that what you pictured? That's what I pictured when I was initially reading this passage. But in verse 3, Paul talks about what the liars and false teaching is. And it is people who are forbidding marriage and requiring abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? The people Paul, in this passage, is warning that will walk away from the faith are actually getting more restrictive with how they, they live, not less restrictive. It's very interesting because I think the average person in America thinks that Christianity is all about restrictions. Are there restrictions? Yes. Okay. But the average person in America thinks that Christianity is all about restrictions. And I kind of lament the fact that that is what people feel and experience. Uh, I had a professor at UNC uh, in my favorite non-science class. Um, that was called, this class was called Moral Consciousness. Uh, and I really enjoyed the class. Um, it sounds daunting. It was, it was, it was, it was pretty fun. Um, this class, the guy spent the entire semester teaching the sacrificial system. So in, in, in cultures, communities, all across history, there's been this pattern that he explained. And, and what I learned in that class is the pattern is people feel like there's something wrong about their relationship with God or whatever higher being their culture believes in. And almost across the board, all of these cultures end up having something that makes them right with God. And the thing that makes them right with God is sacrifice. 
And the sacrifice can be all across the board, right? The sac- most of the time, the sacrifice was the sacrifice of animals, right? This animal is a sacrifice for me. You actually see that in Judaism, right? So that the, the sacrifice is necessary in order to uh, make me right with God. The professor spends the entire semester explaining this. He actually even goes for like the last four or five classes, he spends four or five classes explaining that if the sacrificial system were to actually work, you have to, you have, to have somebody, an animal doesn't work, you have to have a human, but the human can't die, the human has to live, which means the human has to also be God. He explains Jesus. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't see this coming. He's a believer. Can you, I mean, that's amazing. I, I didn't think that this was going to happen at UNC. We get to the last day, and he tells a joke. <clears throat> and the joke is that this person is looking for um, how to live forever, looking for the secret sauce of life. What, what, how do I live for eternity? And he goes on this long, long kind of trip, um, going to different places, trying to find it. And it's, 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 I'm sorry, it's a little bit sad to me, so I'm getting a little bit choked up. Um, he goes to all these different places. He spends 15 minutes in order to explain the, um, explain the joke. He gets to the end, and he says he finally found the person on the top of the, top, the tallest mountain. He found the sage that can actually tell him. He reaches the person, and he says, what do I do to have, have to um, live forever? What do I do to have to have eternal life? And he said, all you have to do is don't drink, don't smoke, and don't have sex. And the guy said, are you serious? I search so long, I get to the highest mountain, to the greatest sage, and he says, don't drink, don't smoke, and don't have sex. That's really what it takes in order for me to live forever. And the sage looks at him and says, well, it'll at least feel like forever. Oh, my gosh. I thought it was funnier than you did. All right, so he, what was happening there was this professor knew the whole sacrificial system, Right? knew the whole sacrificial system, knew that Jesus was necessary, but had been taught by Christianity for all of his life by those deceitful liars that Christianity was all about restrictions. But in verse 4 it says, But for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. I'm sorry if you have been told for your whole life that, that Christianity is all about restricting yourself. It's not. It's actually about living into the fullness that God has given us. Uh, let me give you two other places in Scripture really quickly that will kind of make the point of how beautiful this is. Um, the first one, um, it's, you know, there are so many places in Scripture where it talks about um, dying to the self, killing the flesh. But whenever it talks about killing the flesh, it almost always talks about living into the Spirit. Jesus. Jesus lived and ate and he, he spent time with the sinners. And when someone came and was doing this restrictive type of stuff to people and was saying, don't do that, the Pharisees were saying, you're doing too much, hold back, hedge about the law type of stuff, he actually rebuked them really, really hard. I think that what we need to do, we need to start thinking of Christianity less about something that we, things that we need to stop and more things that we need to start living into. Christianity is not come and stop. Christianity is come and live. It's better to think about godliness as living into the fullness that God has created from us rather than limiting ourselves from the badness in the world. And I'm sorry if you've been told that for a long period of time. I don't think that that's what Christianity is, and I don't think that this is what this church believes either. Come and live. That's verse 1 through 5. That's the beautiful part. Let's move on to the, the practice piece, uh, verses 6 through 15. 
If you put these things, talking about the whole book of Timothy, before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Be sure that studying and learning is important, Timothy. Have nothing to do with irrelevant or or silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now here Paul is saying, train yourself for godliness. Training yourself is like bodily training. Paul is saying that what we're trying to do here in bodily training, it's more like physical therapy school and tennis than it is like seminary. You have to train and learn, yes, but you also have to practice because godliness is not just knowledge and memorization. So right off the bat, we see that this is more like physical therapy school than seminary. We see the same principle come up again in verses 10 through 14. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Again, I want to make sure that I'm not erring here. Studying and learning is very important. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But pay attention here. But set the believers an example in speech, see speech, but also in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Speech being the studying and learning part, but remember the conduct and love and faith and purity, a much more bodily expression of what we are believing as Christians. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, and do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Verse 13 and 14, specifically there about Timothy and the call he has to be a pastor. But you see it. I don't want to underemphasize verses 10, 11, 13, and 14. Exhortation to Timothy that he needed to teach and preach and proclaim the gospel. Study and learn. But note that it's not only with words. You also have to set an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Study, learn, and practice. So what Paul is getting at here is that gospel proclamation in the world is necessary and great. But God has given us an embodied faith, so that means that it takes practice, not just memorization in order to live out our faith. Come with me one more time into the text to to see this kind of teased out in verses 15 and 16. It says, practice these things. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Not hear your progress. See your progress. See how you are living. That's important. Verse 16, keep a close watch on, see here again, yourself and on the teaching. On how you are living and on the message that you are proclaiming. Both we have to keep a watch on and we have to be able to make sure that they are moving together. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Teaching is important. The knowledge and the belief has to be there. But Paul is encouraging Timothy that if, if it is in his, his behavior... His progress in living out the teaching is what the whole package is in order for him to continue in the role that he has. Let me give you a a little bit more on physical therapy to kind of like tease this analogy out. In physical therapy school, we had lectures, okay? We we had anatomy class. We would go and we would learn all the anatomy. But then after we learned, then we actually went and we practiced. 
we practiced in a, in a number of different ways. It was built into the program, like I said before. Um, first, we practiced on each other. We had to practice on the people who had signed forms and stuff, right? Because it was pretty dangerous when we first started practicing. Then we would practice in the clinic, but we would do so with a professor or a licensed clinician kind of watching over us. And then we began to practice in the clinic on our own, and we continued to call it practice throughout the rest of our careers. I still have my license, but I haven't practiced in a long time. So if your shoulder hurts, you might want to ask one of the other doctors that's in the room. Um, but I can kind of like uh, talk, take an analogy to help you understand why practice is so important by talking about one specific test um, that you might be familiar with. You may ever heard of the ACL, right? Okay, the ACL, uh, a lot of football players um, will tear them, basketball players as well. There's a, there are a few tests that you can do on someone's knee to determine if they have torn their ACL. Of course, there's scans and stuff as well, but there are tests that physical therapists do. When you are learning to do that test in physical therapy school, the first people you practice on do not have a torn ACL. You're lucky if you can find someone with a torn ACL that will let you pull on their knee, right? Because you need to have that practice. But as many times as you practice that in the clinic or you practice that on one of your classmates, it doesn't compare at all to when you actually walk out onto a field and someone has just torn their ACL. Because when you walk out onto a field and someone's just torn their ACL, everyone's watching you. The referee wants you to be done and get the person off the field. So there's this time sensitivity into the nature of it. The knee is swelling. When the knee swells, it actually muddies the ability to understand or kind of feel what you're feeling. The hamstring, because the knee is, knee is hurting, the hamstring is actually pulling back, and it also impairs your ability to do this test. What you did and what you studied and you learned about, and even you practiced some, actually when you get into the real world, is really, really hard. Same thing in tennis, right? You can practice hitting a forehand, hitting a backhand, hitting a serve. But when you get up north of Cincinnati and there are thousands of people watching you and the game is on the line, it becomes a lot harder to actually hit that same shot because there's some tension, there's a pressure that you feel, that pressure, that time sensitivity, the real world nature of it really begins to kind of pin down in on you and it becomes a lot harder to actually live out what you know. Isn't that like our faith? I can stand in here, Terry Lee can stand in here, Jimmy can stand in here. We can say, this is what we believe. Your identity is found in God, not in what you do. And you walk out of here and around 4 o'clock this afternoon, you turn on your email and you have an email from your boss and your mind freaks out. Because that's actually where your identity is. Rather than your, actually, your identity being in Christ. And here you're like, yes, yes, that is exactly where it is. That's where my foundation is. You open that email and you recognize that what you know and you have learned in here, you actually have to practice out there. And that practice is so much better done together. Uh, in my third year of physical therapy school, I did a, uh, an independent study course where I did a lot of study and learning. And then I actually spent tons and tons of extra hours in the clinic with one of our professors. His name was John Hackey. Now, John Hackey was one of the best physical therapists that I've ever been around. We, we called him magic fingers. He actually had one of his fingers that, like, was broken and turned to the side, and he would use that. I mean, he could, your neck, you could have had headaches for two years straight. He, like, lays his hands on you, and it's like Jesus touched you. I mean, this is what John Hackey was. And so my experience there is what your experience should be in the church. Someone who has done this, I'm watching him do it. Now I'm doing it. 
Now he's giving, he's coaching me on how to do it. And then I'm doing it a little bit more. And then what happens in Christianity and what happened with me in physical therapy is that at a certain point, I had someone over here, a Paul, having a Timothy saying, hey, come, watch what I'm doing. Now you do it. That's what we do in the church. That's why this practice of our faith is done better together. It has to be done together. But here's what was happening in the clinic with John Hackey, and here's what happens when we practice our faith together as a church. There is an alignment coming of what we know in our heads and what we can do in real life, and that alignment is getting closer and closer and closer to what we know being how we live. That, well, that's what was happening with me in physical therapy school, and that is, that's what should be happening as we are walking with God. If we only do the study and learn part and we don't do the practice part, we're, we're, not, going, we're not approaching that alignment at the rate that I feel like we should. Verse 1 to 5 was, it's beautiful. Verses 6 through 16 was, practice is key. Now, let's make that practice part practical. I'll give you a couple of non-spiritual examples first. I believe that exercise is good for my body, okay? I learned that a lot in school. It decreases anxiety. It decreases the risk of heart disease and cancer. But me knowing that does not make me exercise every day. It takes practice. It takes habits. It takes having companions that I'm doing it with to remind me to do it in order to actually live out what I know in my head. I'll give you another one. I believe that eating well makes me feel better every day. As a 37-year-old person, I know that eating vegetables at lunch will have me not have an afternoon slump in the afternoon, or at least a little bit better. But the french fries on the menu look amazing, right? It takes practice. It takes habits over time of me walking this out with other people in order to actually to live what I actually know. I believe that the Bible is God's word, but I don't read it. Let me give you a couple of spiritual examples. Um, we know that our work doesn't define us in front of God. I already mentioned this one a little bit. But we still work 24-7. We still can't actually fully take time off and rest in God's presence. But that's why God gives us a practice, and he calls that practice Sabbath. Resting is hard, and so he set up a way for us to practice resting in him so that we can live into the truth that our work doesn't define us. Let me give you another one. We know that our money doesn't provide us security and satisfaction in life. A relationship with God does. But we use our money all the time to create security and provide satisfaction in our lives anyway. So what does God do? He teaches us in it in the Bible, but he also gives us a practice. The practice of generosity as a way to take back our hearts from the love of money as we give money to those in need and we give money to the mission of God. Here's another one. We know that God gives us each other to live life with, better together. But we like to sneak away and go home and to hide and social distance from each other instead of spending time with each other. I know you're an introvert. I know that you were required to stay home for a period of time a couple of years ago. But God actually gives us a practice to living into this better together piece, and it's actually having meals with each other. It, it actually is joining a missional community, participating in life with other people. is something that we know is true, but we actually have to do some things in order to live into that. Two other quick ones. We know that God is good and all gifts come from above, but we fail to really have a heart of gratitude. Rather, instead, we're a critic inside. 
We know that God is with us, but it's really hard to feel that at times. So God gives us prayer and meditation and silence and solitude as a way to practice God's presence and recognize that and walk with him throughout the day. We have to study and learn, but we also have to practice all of these things. I actually love, um, I'm going to try to recall this on my head. Jimmy, you might be able to help me. On your website, learn is a tab. Messages are under there. And then right, right beside that, is it connect or engage? Connect. If you go to the website and the only tab you ever go to is learn, you are doing the Western thing of study, learning, study, learning, study, learning. Go to the connect tab today or walk past those brilliant signs back there on the way out and look at those and say, am I doing any of those things? Because if you're not, I'm not, I'm not in your life. I'm, making a, I'm lumping a judgment on you from really afar. You can push back on me if you want to. If you're not doing anything on the connect page on the website and your name's not on one of those things back there, neither one of those things are you practicing your faith with this church or are you learning from this church like it's seminary? We want you to practice with us. I'm, I'm now really leaning into the family thing because I'm saying us. I don't even, I live in Durham. We want you to practice with us because we want that alignment in your life. Because as you're working that, that the peace that surpasses all understanding comes from that alignment. Us all over our entire lives working to a place of actually living into the gospel rather than just knowing it, thinking we have salvation and going home. Let me talk about that salvation piece and some of the peace that comes from um, this passage. Look at verse 15. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress, see your alignment getting closer. Verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Whoa, 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 whoa. By doing this, living in alignment, that's what saves us? If that's true, I'm, I'm in a whole lot of trouble. Because as much as I've talked about alignment, my, and, and Jimmy said this earlier, like my life doesn't, I can't actually live that alignment that I want to. Next week, Terry Lee's going to be preaching in Romans 7, which is a passage that, we, that I think we all resonate with, though it's really hard to say. Uh, it's that passage where it says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. And then it says that same thing like a couple, you know, eight times in a row. The reason that, that happens is because that is our lived experience. I want to, to live as God is my foundation, with my relationship with him as my identity. But it's really, really hard to. I can and I can't. Okay, I know that struggle. We all know that struggle. But this verse says, it's by doing these things that you will save both yourself and your hearers. Well, that's kind of terrifying to me. But here's the, here's the awesome part in this. It's actually the life of Jesus and the alignment of his life throughout his entire life and his death and resurrection that gives us the access to the power to be able to live into that, this truth over time. He gives us access to it. He gives us the power in order to live into it. He gives us the forgiveness for salvation, and he gives us the space for our entire life in order to practice and live into the goodness of the gospel. If you don't believe me, think about it this way. The word became flesh. This is what Paul's encouraging Timothy to do. Have the word be lived out in his body. He is calling him to Christ-likeness. He is calling us to Christ-likeness. And throughout the entire passage, he is giving us the plan, the way of how we get there. It's by not neglecting the teaching, and it's by not neglecting the practice. It's by watching the teaching and making sure it is sure, and it's by watching yourself and making sure that your life is walking it out as well. I have two final encouragements 
and then we'll, we'll sing and practice our faith by singing together. Uh, one encouragement to future church leaders. Um, I briefly mentioned earlier, I was trained as a physical therapist. I practiced for four years, and then I was volunteering at the church in Durham um, and began to do more and more, and I was, I was actually asked to move to Wilmington, North Carolina to be uh, Jimmy's job at the Bridge Church, which is another one of our church plants in Wilmington, North Carolina. So I, I kind of took that jump. There are some of you in the room that may be kind of feeling that call, and if, and if it's not you, that's okay. There's some of you that already do feel a vocational call, but to those people who are potential future leaders in the church, I want you to un- understand that you have both of these, living both of these things together is probably the, the most, most important encouragement that I can give you. Do you need to go to seminary? Maybe. Okay? At seminary, you will study and you learn and you will study and you learn. But the practice of our faith doesn't happen at the seminary. It happens in the church. So practicing here, getting experiences here, actually living out and, and putting what you're studying and learning into practice that this is probably the most important thing that you need to be doing from my perspective. We're going to be doing some assessments tomorrow of people. When we are considering people to go and plant churches and be a part of teams of planting churches, we certainly, there is an entire application that checks to make sure that they've done the studying and the learning. But the entire conversation is about whether or not they've practiced and whether or not they're actually ready to lead people and not just to write papers. Put your time, make sure that you're putting an equal amount of focus here as you are in your seminary and your studying and your learning. And then a, a final encouragement to everyone. Uh, who, who feels encouraged by all of this about practice? Okay, well, that's amazing. I'm so glad. Who feels overwhelmed? Okay, I'm a little bit maybe more with you. Uh, maybe we're encouraged and overwhelmed, okay? When you start thinking about all the different things that you need to do in order to live into the fullness of the gospel, it can be kind of overwhelming. And for the encouragement in that, I want to kind of tell you something that I learned recently. Uh, In the Bible, there are two words that I was actually putting together and kind of making them the same meaning, right? And it's the, the words everlasting and eternal, okay? Everlasting and eternal. When I was reading those, I was thinking that both of those meant now or actually in the age to come after I die, the, the forever type of stuff. But that's actually the word everlasting. The word eternal actually is a word that means a fullness of here and now. A fullness of here and now. In salvation, in the gospel, we are given everlasting life, yes. We are also given eternal life, a fullness here and now. And the beautiful part is, is that that everlasting and the eternal that fullness gets greater and greater and greater and greater until it comes to perfection in the everlasting. Please don't forego the eternal fullness that you can experience now in practicing your faith with the church because you think you have the everlasting locked up because there's a fullness to experience now. It's, it's a good fullness. It's what God wants for you. It's practiced better together with the church and that, that approach, that alignment, it is sure because of, what, because of what Christ has done on the cross. The assurance that you can have for that as you go out today and you begin or continue practicing your faith is found in Philippians 1.6. It says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. We have a beautiful faith. We have experienced the fullness now, and we will experience the fullness forever 
But right now, we continue to practice and walk in it together. Let's pray.